coming up next on Geek Gamer Weekly. It's our first ever pinball roundup episode. We chat with Bowen Kearns, Eden Stam, Kyle Seller, and also Joe Falby's joining me, and I'm wearing a different shirt. Geek Gamer Weekly is next. This is Geek Gamer Weekly, episode 231, recorded on Sunday, March 10th, 2013. Hey, it's only pinball. Geek Gamer Weekly is brought to you by Personas, makers of the Studio Live 1602, which packs superior audio quality, performance, and integrated software, including remote control, into a small, affordable package. For more information, visit personas.com. Hey everybody, welcome again to another edition of Geek Gamer Weekly. This is the Uber High Definition Podcast for geeks and gamers. Boy, we have a great treat in store for you guys. First off, it's not going to be your typical show. Nope, nope, nope. There's not going to be any stories about technology or gaming this week. Why? Well, because I, I run the show. My name is Chase Nunes, and I uh, help orchestrate this. Well, that interestingly changed. <laughs> Was not supposed to do that. Uh, you can follow me on you can follow me on Twitter at Nunes N U N E S. Uh, joining me uh, now, no John Kessler this week. Uh, John is having some car issues that he is he is working on currently. So moving up to the number one slot is Mister Joseph Falby from the Oregon Bureau of Technology, Gaming Research, and Development. How's it going, Joe? Just ducky. <laughs> I wanted to get that line right. Remember it. It was it was tough. That was a struggle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we practiced that at least twelve times before the show today. Yeah, we had to. You scripted well. Yeah. So it's all going to be about Minecraft, right? No, no. That's the other show. Oh. That's the other show we do. So. Oh well. No worries. All right. We'll see how it goes. That's okay. But Joe, good to see you. Looking good, and it's a little bit more daylight thanks to uh, daylight saving time. So, yeah. yes, very nice. So we have some very special guests to introduce. This show this week is going to be all about pinball. That's right, the steel ball where you flip around with flippers and you aim for targets. And we're going to talk all about the topic from the past, the present, the future. And we're going to start off introducing our in-studio guests. First off. Mr. Kyle Seller from Pub 340 Pinball and the Vancouver Regional Pinball Association. Hey, Kyle. Hey. And also one of my good friends. How you doing, buddy? Pretty good. How are you? Good. Are you feeling comfortable now? Yeah, yeah. after a couple shots of scotch, I'm all oh, good. Oh, so, yeah. you, so you've been drinking? Yes, heavily. <laughs> Everybody drinks on this show. Just ask That's Joe. That's vodka. That's the straight up vodka, man. <laughs> But you're looking good, man. Wearing the knit cap, that knit cap's gonna come off, man. You're you're, you're gonna be burning up, man. That no that's gonna go to the grave with me, man. Okay, never mind. Yeah, but good to have you here, man. Good to have you here. Also, right next to you, right to your right, is the 2008 Canadian Pinball Champion of all time in 2008. Oh, oh, yeah, <laughs> lovely. I love it, man. Forever, Mr. Eden Stamp. How are you, sir? I'm good. You're looking good. Yeah, thanks, man. You're feeling good? I am. 
You know, you got you got the Ducky headphones. That's where John sits, Mr. Ducky. So, so you sound good. You look good. How's I'm things? Feeling good. How are things? Things are good. Good. Hence me being down here. Almost I'm, missed it. Bring it, bring it up a little bit closer. I will. All right. Is good. that good? That's better. Right on. All right, good. And uh, joining us via remote control all the way from Pennsylvania, right? Uh, near Boston, Salem, Mass. Oh, Mass. Wow, I thought you were... all those people, and now it's famous. Bowen Kearns, the four-time world pinball champion. Got got a few more on you than, uh, than Eden's one Yeah, Canadian I got a ways champion. to go. <laughs> got a ways to go. See, there's, a, there's a little extra word here. See, world, it's a Canadian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, a little bit different. Yeah, there were five players in my tournament. Well, it, you, so there anybody you can like make the Canadian national team in... Uh, is there a Canadian national like, team in but pinball? The, but the world Luge. team, you know, that's where it's at. Yeah. I missed that cut. We'll get into that later. Oh. <laughs> well, I'm furious at Werdrick. <laughs> well, let's 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 talk a little bit about why we got into it and what what we you know what appealed us to pinball. Uh, you know, for me personally, I I got started playing probably when I was 10, 12 years old. My first machine I ever played on was a machine called Earthshaker. That was 1989. And I remember that so vividly because I was living in the San Francisco Bay Area at the time. And a big, major earthquake, the Loma Prieta 7.1, there was major damage. The, the Bay Bridge collapsed. This big freeway in, near Oakland collapsed. Uh, but that, that machine was the first machine ever to have a shaker motor. Uh, it was really fun to play. And so I knew since then I was always hooked. But... Uh, you know, growing up, you know, you don't think about buying a pinball machine. You just go and play. And then once I settled down, bought a house, I was able to afford a machine. My first machine I ever purchased was an Earthshaker. I was very specific in trying to find that. So that's my one-minute answer. I know you guys are going to have much longer answers, and that's okay. Uh, so, Eden, I'm going to start with you first, man. Uh, obviously, it took a long time for you to get up to becoming a 2008 Canadian champion. It's probably something that never should have possibly even happened because of my deep disdain for pinball when I when I started. Really? Oh yeah. Uh, basically, uh, when I was really young, I I loved playing video games. I'd like sneak out of the house and go a few kilometers, not miles, kilometers. What, what are kilometers? They're about uh, what is it? A uh, point. Six, six something two. of a mile. I just want. I just wanted to see what kind of. Uh, I'm know, on top. Of yeah, it. yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, hasn't that exchange rate changed recently? <laughs> how dare you? How da- it's true. Anyway, um, but yeah, I would I would sneak out of the house because I, I just love playing things like Donkey Kong or whatever video games, and I'd sneak up to this little smoke shop, you know, uh, a few kilometers away from my house, and uh, it even got to a point where. My parents came up there and said, I told you to stay home. And they found me there. And, you know, and I go there one day and instead of Donkey Kong, there's some game called Black Knight, this pinball machine. I thought, well, it's not my Donkey Kong, but I'll, I'll put in a quarter. So I, I, I put in, I plunge the ball and I flip and the ball's gone. I'm like, okay, this, this was weird. That was odd. I go again. And oh my God, the ball just like drains again. <laughs> I'm like, okay, last, last chance for sure. Plunge, flip. Done. I'm like, I will never touch a pinball machine for the rest of my life. Man. You could feel the disdain shaking the desk there. There was so much disdain. I was so angry. Anyway, I, I swore. I swore I'd never touch a pinball machine again. And in fact, um, my next even remotely like 
pinball-esque experience. I guess I was like 13, and yes, I was at a volleyball camp at BCIT. Men, women? Uh, no, it's just it's just like they take a couple people from each like local oh, okay. high school and like let them do like a camp during the summer to like improve their volleyball skills. Oh. And uh, right there at the BCIT arcade, I heard this music, and I'm like, oh, that's really cool. What game is that? And I realized it's not a video game. It's a machine called Pinbot. Ah, and I really I took a look and it was really cool and all these like lights and like the sounds were amazing on like really, like boom boom really good sounds you know and I'm like so every time I had lunch there I'd kind of hear Pinbot in the background oh that'd be neat ah but it's Pinball I'm not gonna touch that crap never, never, and it <laughs> wasn't until but but it was very important that that happened because about probably six years later I went to a local arcade in White Rock where I just knew that they'd made an arcade and 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 I'm gonna have some go play some video games and as i step through the door and i'm heading towards the games off to my left there there's this game called bride of pinbot i'm like what the they made a sequel to a pinball machine i've seen it with video games i've never seen it with pinball i'm like this is weird i'm checking it out and i'm like huh well she looks kind of hot she's kind of hot yeah and i'm like and i thought well you know what like and, and and seriously, it was just it was really weird. It just it grabbed me. I thought, okay, well maybe I'll give it a try. I've been playing video games for years. I got it, and I guess something had obviously changed enough where I'm realizing, oh wait, there's something to this. You actually do this, and you go for that. And if you do this, that's gonna happen. And then if I do this, and I was hooked, and I just like, wow, this is amazing. And I just went from there, playing and playing for a few and years. Just practice and practice and practice and practice. Well, and practice? I, it was all fun. I just, I couldn't stop playing for fun. And so I played that for a few years, took a break. And similar to you, when I was about like 30, maybe, had some space in my apartment and said, what would be nice to put there? Oh, hey, I used to love pinball. Let's go get a game. And of course, now there's 13 of them. <laughs> well, we'll get into collection a little bit later. Yeah. But no, that's cool, man. Yeah, so that's that's the story. Bowen, what, what's it take to become a four-time world pinball champion? I mean, obviously, you had to get bit by the pinball, pinball bug at some point. Yeah, I mean, uh, when I was when I was younger, I, I picked it up. My dad played some pinball, and he would take me around to different places. Uh, and uh, eventually, he moved on to golf. And I stayed with pinball partially because it was uh, it was cheaper. The better you get at pinball, the cheaper it gets. So the appeal of having the potential of winning free games was was really big to me. And I, I mean, I can remember as as early as playing pinball when I was maybe six or seven in a a big dank basement ballroom thing and uh, uh, I actually now know that the game was sharpshooter but all I could remember mm. was there was this giant white light in the corner that if you got the ball to go over that white light the game would just go crazy and give you all sorts of points uh, and the, the the idea that you can make something happen physically in front of you is is uh, really tremendous and I think it's a, a, a feedback loop that you, you, you can get as early as the first play of, of pinball, like someone playing soccer, World Cup soccer, can go like, "Hey, I got a goal, awesome!" And then, and then they realize later, "Oh, you mean there's a way to lock a ball over there?" And wow, I can, I can uh, play multi-ball, or I can win a free game, or I can get on the high scoreboard, or I can get the number one score. Uh, there just is this really nice roll of positive feedback. And as I got into high school, it got really cheap for me to play pinball because I was, I was good enough to be the best in my town. Uh, when I got to college, I found out that there were these competitions, and, uh, and then I was pretty much soaked in it and uh, joined a league in San Francisco, California. I was lucky enough to meet Neil Schatz, Rick Stetta, Mark Conant, these guys out there who were just tremendous players. 
and from there was able to get hooked into the whole tournament experience. Um, my first really, really big tournaments were the Chicago Expo in 93 and Papa 4 in 94. And uh, Papa 4 was amazing, and I just got, I got lucky. I won the championship at age 18. Now, Joe, my good co-host, Mr. Joseph Falby, you know, I kind of pulled him into the hobby a little bit just because of the fact that, uh, you know, when I would go and visit Portland, I, hey, let's go to ground control. Let's let's go do these different places and different things. And then uh, Joe got a, a black hole. He got it repaired because he had it for a while, but it was just sitting there. Not in, He had a, a rubber kit for it. And then got the other machine. So, Joe, you're you're not as, you know, competitive like we are and, and play pinball every single weekend or you know, go do tournaments and stuff that often as we do. But what got you attracted into the to the hobby? Well, I mean, most of it was uh, I I'd remembered playing it, playing pinball as a kid. I, I mean, it wasn't a big for me. I, I spent, um, you know, until I was about nine, I lived in Hawaii where the focus was going out to the beach or going snorkeling or you know, more, much more outdoor, outdoor things. I moved over here to, to Oregon, sort of changed. You can't really go to the beach here. I don't understand swimming in rivers, um, and the pools are too cold. Uh, but um, but it was it was sort of a thing where where after a while I, I kind of had an injury. I went to ground control a few times, different friends that sort of thing, and then actually at an auction, and the auction had a bunch of pinball machines. The machine, the only machine that was interesting to me, they had really old machines, and they had a couple newer machines and were being relative the newest machine they had there was this black hole that mostly worked and uh, uh so i went ahead and, and bid on it ended up buying the machine then at home i played maybe two or three six games on it and then it stopped most uh the upkick from the lower playfield wouldn't wouldn't turn it and so then it just sort of stagnated and then you got more into it and uh dragged me into things and Anytime you'd come down, you know, like you said, we'd go to control that sort of thing. And eventually, I um, I I got the machine shopped, got all up and running. Now it's 100 works great. Sweet. And uh, and it's it's better. still not big focus for me. I spent more time on computers. Spent a lot more time, not necessarily video games specifically, but just in generally with computers. So all is is a fun hobby for me and a fun a fun side thing, but it's not it's not some we're going to really do super serious competitors and anticipate get into a tournament and win a machine. It'd be nice, but I don't think that's ever going to happen for me. I think Joe what we're going to do also is we'll reconnect. We'll, we'll we're going to we're going to do something with the video. Yeah. Well, we'll maybe just reconnect on Skype cuz you're coming through but you're 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 uh, coming in and out. Which you know happens. This is technology at its finest. So, um so last but certainly not least, Mr. Kyle Seller. Now, you know, you're 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 involved in, in many, many different, you know, sections of, of the hobby as a league president, a, a club president, also as an operator, but you had to start somewhere. What what got you started in involved? Uh I think it was probably around eight or nine, um when uh uh my family moved out to Eagle Ridge, and that's in Coquitlam. And there wasn't much to do. And generally after school, uh, I didn't have anything really to do. So I took my BMX and I rode down to the local 7-Eleven. 
and there was uh, a Bad Dudes by uh, Data East, which is an arcade game, yeah, and a space shuttle. <laughs> and <Wow. laughs> after about uh, 30 days of Bad Dudes every day, um, <laughs> soon realized that uh, it cost a lot of money to play that game. And um, it just ate my money. And I didn't have a lot of money. And uh, that was frustrating. So I saw the space shuttle. didn't really know what pinball was. But um, I gave it a shot. And uh, as a similar experience to Eden, uh, I got my ass kicked the first time I played it and got really frustrated. But uh, I don't know. It's something to do with uh, the lure of the lights. And I watched some other people play it. And um, they were doing quite well. And then I heard this whack. I was like, what the heck is that? I was like... And I'm, you know, I, I'm kind of a cheap guy, and I soon realized that the whack is is a free game, and that to me <laughs> kind of turned into like, wow, it's like I'm almost making money, or I'm like putting a quarter in and I'm getting it back, and so like that motivation totally changed the way I saw pinball, and it made me kind of uh, uh, gave me this drive to like kind of figure it out, and uh, after I kind of learned it. Um, uh, I got my friend Kelsey involved, and we were there every day after after school playing uh, Space Shuttle, and um, we played it so much, actually, and we shook it a little bit too much because it didn't have a tilt that the uh, the Space Shuttle fell off off the <laughs> ramp uh, one day, and the, they uh, replaced that game with a heavy metal meltdown <laughs> after that, which was like one of the first games with like eight ball, multi-ball, and uh, it kind of just went... Uh, from there, uh, I bought my first game when I was uh, 16, uh, right after I got my driver's license, and I bought an F-14 Tomcat. Um, I used to pretty much uh, wake up extra early in the morning on Thursday to go to my local mart to get the newspaper and surf the ads for pinball machines. Uh, after the first one, I, I just couldn't stop. And like by like the time I was 19, uh, I had like five games you know at my father's house and they were going in, in in our living room and my bedroom and it was just it became soon out of hand at that point so it's it's never stopped since then well that's awesome man too freaking cool yeah it's crazy well i mean it's it, it becomes uh, ocd almost right <laughs> well i guess it does become a little obsessive yeah i mean it's it's a big part of my life well let's talk a little bit right now, I guess, about the, the current state of our, our lovely hobby. Or do we call it a sport? Or what do we call it? I mean, some people will make fun of us because we play pinball. They may think that we're a little out there or weird or we're outside the norm. Yet there are people who play professional darts or there are people who do professional offshoot sports that, oh, you can't call that a sport or whatever. Let me ask you guys this. Do you guys consider, Eden, do you consider pinball a hobby, a sport? What do you think about the state of things right now? They're all of them. Those, they're both of those for sure. Um, the, the biggest argument people seem to have debates over is, is it a sport? Which is really interesting. But that's okay. My answer is as simple as this. We're competing when we play. And competition is sporting, if you look that up in the dictionary, I think. So mm -hmm. it's sport. Right. It's sport. It's sporting. It's competition. So, yes, you could have a rock, paper, scissors. Oh, they do, don't they? 
rock, paper, scissor competitions. <laughs> and that, therefore, is sporting as well. Now, is it an athletic sport? Well, play pinball at the level that some of us are doing, and you might start to think so. Trust me. You know, I mean, it can be extremely exhausting. I just know that I feel like I've been hit by a truck after, like, world championships every year. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's great. So, yeah, it's a competition. And, and yes, it's a great hobby. And it's a great, uh, like, as a collector, you know, for aesthetic reasons. Or maybe just because you want to have the most pristine games or you want to have the most games. Or there's a particular era of games you love. So there's all kinds of things to it. What about you, Kyle? What do you think? Is it a hobby? A sport? What's the current state of things in your neck of the woods? I think uh, it is, uh, as it says on the apron, I think it is a game of skill. Kind of like chess. Ah. So as someone says in our chat room, Mr. Nate from, from Portland said uh -huh. chess. He said the exact same. Were you watching really? the chat? No. Wow. That's see, amazing. Wow, that's really good. <laughs> Yeah, so I don't I don't see it as a sport, but to be honest, I don't really care what people think it is. If they think it's a sport or if it's a game, Agreed. who cares? Everyone can have their own it, opinion. I've seen some massive debates about this. I think it's kind of funny, mm -hmm. but uh, I see a lot of different elements with pinball. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's a collector's component. There's people that like to uh, restore them or repair them, and there's people that like to competitive competitively play and there's people that uh you know like to hoard pinballs uh it's all over the map right now it's crazy yeah now bowen you know from an organizer standpoint you know you know you work with with papa you got pinberg coming up the largest match play championship in all of the world so obviously you know you, you have a point of view where you want to try to take pinball to more of a uh more going uh, mainstream more like when you Someone could turn on ESPN too and watch the World Championships. Is is that the overall goal? Oh, we're shooting for ESPN eight first. The Ocho, the Ocho! and and then we'll work our way up to uh, ESPN three or two or one as necessary. Uh, I think that uh, one thing we really need to do is change public perception of pinball as as a game of skill. Uh, that uh, people can play pinball without knowing that it's a game of skill and just beat on the flippers or they see the ball and they, they flip as soon as they see the ball. Uh, and it really takes some uh, almost a bit of mentorship for someone to, to see that pinball is a game of skill. I was, able, I was lucky enough to get that mentorship from my father and then later from these players in California. But uh, the state of arcades and, and gaming around the country for pinball is such that people don't have nearly the same opportunities for that mentorship. Right. Uh, and uh, that was one of the reasons that Papa built this uh, archive, the pinball archive and the video archive at pinball.org. And uh, there now are hundreds of educational videos for players to learn new machines, to see good play, to see competitive play. The finals of, uh, of tournaments are posted up on this site as well. And it's turning people into better pinball players. And it's also turning people on to realize that pinball is a skill game and that there is a really long learning curve to it that you can progress in pinball for years and still have more to see. Uh, that to me actually is one of the places where pinball and video games are very different that mm -hmm. I, I get the feel that for almost every video game, you get to sort of a level of mastery after some weeks or some months. Maybe you finally take down dragon ninja with those bad dudes and you just don't want to play the game anymore. 
but with pinball, that learning curve is so long. I'm playing pinball now for 20 years in competition, and I still don't feel like I have mastered everything. I don't feel I feel like there are games that I'm much worse at than other players, and I can see things that other players do that I can't do that I want to get better at. Uh, and that, that really has been very rewarding, and one of the reasons it's kept me coming to pinball tournaments and, and meeting new people for, for this many years. Right. So what do you guys think is going on right now when it comes to pinball? I mean, we got two manufacturers out there that are making machines, or maybe even three if uh, we count some of the ones internationally, I guess. So we have Stern. We now have Jersey Jack. And this is an open discussion, so I'll start with Bowen first, and then anybody can jump in during the conversation. But uh, how do you guys feel about the current state of pinball right now? Uh, it's it's definitely up, for sure. It's way up compared to, say, where it was five years ago, where uh, the games from Stern, which were the only manufacturer at the time, were uh, generally very poor. Uh, I think they really turned a corner with games like Spider-Man, and uh, certainly ACDC has been amazing, an amazing game. Uh, and I, th I actually think that the competition that's been introduced by Jersey Jack especially will, will be increasing their, their quality and the amount of time and effort they, they put into their games, especially when you look at price point. Like these um, Stern LEs now are coming out at uh, like a $7,500 price point, which uh, I don't know. I, I don't have that kind of money, and I, but I guess enough people do to buy the games. I, I wish that either the games were more sturdy at that price point because the LEs don't seem to be really all that sturdy compared to, you know, for what I would expect to get for $7,500. Yeah. Uh, and with, with the wizard of Oz coming out, I don't know about the software. It's still in progress, but the mechanics of that game seem incredibly sturdy. It feels a lot like to me, it feels like the Williams games from the nineties that were, they were rock solid. They felt good. They flipped good. And uh, you just you knew you were getting something of, of very high quality. Uh, if games are going to go on location back to where they were in the 90s, you need a game that you can just put somewhere and leave it there for months and just collect the money because that's the way operators tend to behave. Now, maybe if that's not possible, we're never going to get back to that many arcades and that many locations and uh, the places in Portland and Seattle and, and some in Boston, some around the country that are popping up, they're popping up uh, and they're very high quality. And maybe that's the direction it's going instead where new games can be taken care of to, to stay in brand new condition. And at that point, the, the quality of, uh, of a machine comes out, doesn't, doesn't matter as much. But uh, Multimorphic is coming out with their P3. We've got the guys up in uh, Michigan doing Predator. We've got John Papaduke doing Magic Girl and other one-offs like the Ben Heck Machine. We've got the guys in England doing the Highway Pinball. Uh, it, it really is pretty amazing. And the, uh, the barriers to coming into this and making your own pinball machine, they're way down because it's, it's capable of find, you're capable of finding cheap hardware or replicator boards uh, like the P-Rock and, uh, and, and those it's it's really changed and and far for the better I think. Now Kyle, you're you're an operator. I yep. mean, you 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 hear a lot what Bowen is saying here when it comes to the quality of machines. You have a gambit of machines at Pub 340 in downtown Vancouver from early 90s all the way to current. Yep. Your perspective, please. 
Just in pinball in general? Yeah, and, and operating machines. And, I mean, what do you think about the state of the machines and the market and the whole nine yards? I think it's absolutely insane, like, right now. I, mm-hmm. But maybe it's because I'm involved with pinball so much. It seems like it's almost became mainstream. Um, I see a couple different aspects. I see uh, a lot of younger generation coming out. Uh, I'm going to call them hipsters. I'm a hipster, maybe, so... Uh, I, so I see a lot of these kind of urban trendy people coming out and seeking out good pinball machines to play at pubs and bars, um, you know, in, 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 uh, cities, but then there's so much on TV right now with pinball. It seems like anytime you watch the history channel or TLC, uh, you see like these American picker shows or pawn stars, there's pinball and it seems to be like kind of like in that aspect, it seems to be like, it's almost like back, you know, when you were wealthy, you would get yourself a big house and a pool and a big garage full of cars. Well, now I see it like that and pinball. So it's (laughs) like all these people, they like, they want to buy brand new games and they just like the look of them. So, I think there's like a big upsurge with like playing on location now. Um, and also like the private home market has exploded. Talk more about that because I mean, that's, that's one thing where, you know, you have a collection of machines. I have a small collection. Mm-hmm. Joe has a small collection. Eden, you have a small collection, but when you have all these people buying for home collections and they're not going out anywhere, I mean, I know we have these pin bars in these places. Yep. How does that lend itself for good healthiness for 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 the future of pinball. That's that's an interesting question because right now, I mean, if you want to get a semi-modern game, it's going to cost you a fortune. It's unbelievable what games are selling for nowadays, especially the ones that seem to be like I would say the early to mid to late 90s. Uh that's the trend. And people are buying them and they're keeping them and it keeps them out of the public eye. Um, so, and that's just driving the price of these machines. Um, yeah, it's, it's very interesting. Ian, what do you think? Oh boy. Where do I start? <laughs> oh, one of, well, okay. Oh, should we talk about what? What do you want to start with? What, what I think about the prices of games right now, well, or, I mean, or, or the I mean, health of it? Just overall, via... wherever you want to go with, man. Wow, there's so many. Like, there's so many things I see this about is an it. Open topic. Yeah, there's so many things I see about the about like the competitive side, people getting into it. L- let me start with this. I would say the first big thing I've noticed in the last couple of years that bothered me was, and I blame, I bl- I blame Tron Le. <laughs> and and was why do you blame Tron LE? Because I like Tron. I love it, but the this is what happened. They made this LE version, and a bunch of people actually were willing to pay the extra money for all this stuff. So suddenly it made it so well. Hang on, instead of four thousand bucks a pinball machine, let's make them five or so. And then when Jersey Jack, you know, said, "Hey, I'm going to make this game. I'm not Stern, and it's going to cost you more money. And there's only going to be so many of them, but you guys are going to love this." There were enough people that paid that money that now Stern says, "Well, hang on." If they'll pay for that, maybe we can make something special and they'll pay for that. So it worked with 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 Tron LE and it worked really well. So now overall, the price has kind of exploded a bit to a level where like 
people who used to be able to kind of push themselves to do maybe a two, three, or four thousand dollar game, you know, now they have to make it three, four, or five. There's an extra thousand bucks, and then these, it it got people saying, well, hang on, if people will spend that much for a game, and these are really good games, the older ones, now we can raise those prices too. So everything kind of got out of control, I think, from that. That's kind of how things like, you know, suddenly your attack from Mars is eight thousand bucks instead of four or five or whatever. Right. I mean, eight thousand. Uh, is it 12, even is it even more now or what? Oh, twelve thousand. See, this is ridiculous. And what? medieval madness is now eighteen, right? Even though the book says twelve or thirteen, which it, but the year before was eight, and the year before was six, whatever. So yeah, I really think that this price explosion is because of these LEs and stuff that came out and people kind of going for it. Now, well, Jersey Jack kind of get got to control the price. They they set the price point. They right. said, well, we're going to sell our game for. 6500 and then 7500 I forget what what it was. Something like that, yeah. Uh, but already, that was like about 2000 above the average game. It's like, oh, people will buy a pinball machine for 7500 Correct. We, we can make that happen. And the yeah. big difference, though, is the quality. I mean, I can't imagine what that was pinball is going to look like. I haven't seen one, but right. from what I've heard, I mean, it's 450 pounds, first yeah. of all. That's, that's a, 200 pounds. More, no, it's, it's, at least it's almost more. 200 pounds more than a Stern pinball. Oh, and no. and they're using uh, a genuine Williams parts. Uh, it's Bowen. Bowen's wa waving his hands here. Why? Why? What? What? Uh, we we've lifted that game. We've lifted a Wizard of Oz into in onto a truck and off mm -hmm. the truck and put it in position on uh, a couple times. And it 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 doesn't. It didn't strike me as being. It certainly wasn't four hundred fifty pounds. Oh, that's yeah, what okay, I. Good. That's what I heard. If it was. Uh, it was we we were superheroes or something that day. Normal uh, is about three hundred, right? Two fifty to three. Two fifty. I I would put it around the same weight, maybe a little heavier than a Twilight Zone. Okay, it was. Which, okay. That's still a lot heavier than a, a Stern heavier. nowadays. That's yeah. the the Sterns have probably dropped. Like my Avengers, it, it's it's like a a feather to lift that thing up. Hmm. What's what with with standard machines? What what, what you, go ahead? And, you well, I, say? just well, jump in, man. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, there's the you were asking me about different aspects of it. And I, I was gonna say the price is one thing, but then so what it does it it can definitely hinder, uh, let's say more financially average people from getting really plenty of exceptional titles, right? Or or even just buying as many games. Right, so that is going to deter. So where does so where does the pin come into play? You know, the stern, the pin. You know, the uh, the home use oh, only don't even, machine. I, guess what? I, mean, I saw a picture of that, and I've I've learned nothing now, about it since. Let's try to be a little a On little purpose. bit impartial here for a moment. No, I'm just saying I can't participate in that because I know <laughs> nothing about it, and I'm glad. <laughs> well, basically, think of it as a home use only stripped down. Three quarters scale ish. It's hard to explain. It sure is. It's hard to look at. <laughs> That's no, no, no. no. People, pe there, there. I'm sure there's some people that like it, but again, price point, I, price I, point. I also think it it helps them yeah. control the price point of their real games. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That uh, by saying, well, okay, you got you got twenty five hundred dollars. Well, we got a we got a game for you, uh, mm -hmm. but it also then justifies their other price point moving to like five thousand. And then their their LE price point moving to seventy five or eight thousand. That basically, you you have this full range, and you, you're going to have to have some some top of the line car, and so you have to have some crappy car at the bottom of the line, 
for people to say, well, I don't want that. I'll get the, I'll get this one. And, and they'll, they'll feel less bad about right. paying and, and, and like, 5,000 for a pro when they can look and say, well, I definitely don't want that $2,500 one down there. Right. And I'm just saying that I, they, I'm not certain. So I, I don't know how their marketing is. I don't know if they've sold any of these games. It might be a tremendous success for them. I don't see it really that differently as the Zizzle product that came out some time ago. It looks to be much better in quality mm -hmm. than the Zizzle. And size, hopefully. And size and weight. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. no, that's my concern, though, that, that they created it to try to justify the shifted cr price point, which if they hadn't done the shift in the first place, they might not have even had to make that game, which no one's going to buy. How how much is that game? Is it 3000 Yeah, Retails which, which is what you could have got away with. Wow. See, that's something. that's where it's I see the, the, the failure of that machine is, well, three grand is a lot of money. And even though the pinball market is ridiculous right now, mm -hmm. for 3000 bucks you can buy yourself uh, some of the best pinball machines that have came out um, that might not be A titles, but uh, you could buy yourself a 10-year-old game. That's fantastic. Now, guys, what, what if... What if that game instead of being Transformers was some strange home version Tron. Would we be having this conversation? Maybe yes. not. Well, l let me let me ask. Let me ask. We haven't heard from Joe. Uh, we've been trying to work on some technical issues. Uh, but Joe, Joe, you're, you're a home user. You have two machines. You're getting involved in the hobby. When you see something like this, would you like like the pin? You know, uh, it was at CES. It was you know, which is not really a gaming show, but they were showing it at CES. Well, from your perspective, you're not pro player. You're not, he you know, heavily into the hobby like we are. When you see the pin, what do you think? Well, <clears throat> I think that the problem is that, the, and the few pictures I've seen, uh, just looking around while you guys have been talking, about, I'd never heard of it before. The oh. few pictures I've seen of it looked like it just looked like it was cheap. Um, and not having seen one in person, you know, I, I, I don't know. If I saw one in person, I might have a different opinion about it. But I have a feeling it would be the case where. I look at one of those, and it's like, oh, look, it's kind of like a kid's pinball machine. And then I go on and play on a real one at a, at a real arcade somewhere. It's like, this is a real pinball machine. So I, I don't think that, at least for me, I don't think it would be the right kind of machine, especially with that kind of price point, with a, with a three dollars $4,000 price point. That just seems unreasonable for something that looks like a, looks like a kid's toy. I would see, I, I would be more willing to put a, Put more money into it to get something much closer to a real right. arcade quality machine that maybe didn't have, um, you know, like there's no reason for me if I'm buying a machine for home to have a coin acceptor. Uh, there's no reason for me to have a bill acceptor. You know, there, there are some things that are on those machines that I don't need as a if I was going to buy one for home that might mitigate a little bit of the price difference, but but wouldn't sacrifice the quality of the actual machine itself. But aren't you? Uh, I mean missing out on the truly authentic experience of what a pinball machine is supposed to be? What do you mean? By not putting a quarter in or? Well, no. I mean, like, there's a lot of people, especially people who, you know, have machines for home use. They want the authentic, they want the, the coin door. They want the coin mech. They want all the things that make the machine something that they would find in a normal, everyday arcade when they were growing up. But maybe it doesn't matter for, for the newer generation. I mean, well, I think that's that's somebody who's who's going to be falling then to nostalgia, and that's a different market entirely because they're mm -hmm. not going to be looking for the brand new machine. They're not the market for that machine. They're look they're the market for maybe a really nicely refurbished old machine. Um, Go ahead. That at least that's my thought. Is is if you're if you're looking at a brand new Stern, you're looking at a 
buying a Wizard of Oz or, or a Hobbit coming out, you know, you're looking at doing a pre-order for one of those. You're not looking, at least for me, unless you're a diehard, you know, all the way pinball, huge person, you're not, you don't really care, at least I don't really care, that it doesn't have a bill acceptor, it doesn't have a coin acceptor, that sort of thing. For me, that's those are additional things that I'm never going to use. I'm never going to use the coin acceptors on the on the two machines I have. There's just no reason for them. They're set for free play, and that's how I'm always going to have them. And so I, I just see them as superfluous. Okay. But if I was buying an old machine, if I was, you know, say I, I was flush with cash, and I was right. like, you know what, I remember growing up with a, um, growing up with an Adams family, and I want an Adams family now. I have lots of money. I deserve a really nice Adams family. Then yeah, I'm going to want it to be as perfect as it was off the assembly line, as close as I can get to it, if not better. And that's what I want. And then I'll want all those extra bits and pieces. But Kyle. for a new machine, for me at least, it doesn't seem that important. Kyle, go ahead. I just It just came to me uh, possibly what Stern's motivation is for this, the pin. Uh, and it came to me that, you know, it the way they're marketing it, it's almost like they're, they're appealing to this upper middle class family that looks at this pinball machine as, and, and they say, um, this is something that looks neat, would look good next to our pool table, and it looks like it's not going to break down uh, because of its simplicity and it's a little bit smaller and it's meant for a home. So maybe that, that's where Stern is going with this. Possibly. Because, you know, there's, uh, as most people know, I mean, to own a pinball machine, unless you want to pay to get it fixed, uh, which can be very expensive, you kind of need to know, you know, the ins and outs of the machine. So does this, does this pin... It's being marketed as a consumer product. They, yeah. They, so, they I mean... It's CES. I mean, they, they brought it to CES. It's listed on Amazon. Mm. Uh, and uh, it doesn't have a coin door. So you couldn't put it in an arcade and charge money for it if you wanted to. Uh, so who who buys it? Uh, the only people who would buy it are, uh, if I can't even see a pinball collector buying this for for all those reasons. I don't think it's meant for them. The style, I don't think it's meant side. for pinball people. Imagine imagine a, a collector with a row of machines, and then you kind of look down at this one that's that's much smaller than the rest of them. You you just kind of uh, skip skip by it or go, what is that? Uh, it's it's definitely a consumer product, and families who go like, hey, hey let's get a pinball machine. Where do they look? This this would be a reasonable place for them to look. They they won't know how much it's supposed to cost, so they won't mind that it's three thousand dollars, and then Stern makes a big profit. Hmm. So, what does this is a the, the big question, right? What does the future lie? Because right now things are hopping, things are good. We got big tournaments, we got new machines, new manufacturers coming on board, but. What's next? Is it just more tournaments trying to make the uh, the the hobby more into a more pro sport where we'll see it on the Ocho? <laughs> you know, I mean, Bowen, maybe you could tell a little bit, uh, tell us a little bit about the 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 Pinburg tournament, the match play tournament where you, where you organize and you yourself don't even participate because you're running all over the place with your head cut off. But uh, <laughs> what do you think? Well, um, I'll talk about Pinburg first. Um, Pinburg is going to be the largest pinball tournament ever held. Uh, it'll be April 12 through 14. We have 400 people coming. They're spending their own money, $150 each, to, to buy into this tournament. 
and then we return it all to them in prize money. So there's sixty thousand dollars in cash up for grabs among these players with a seventy-five hundred dollar first prize, but over one hundred cash prizes for everyone. And um, the idea here was to give everyone the same experience. Like sometimes you go to a pinball event and the top players have a great time, but the people who are in the middle of the pack or down the bottom of the pack, all they get to do is play a few games and then someone comes up to them and says, sorry, you, you lose and you're done. Uh, and they don't even get to play against anyone. They just get to watch. Uh, we, wanted the, we wanted this event to be all match play and Everyone gets to play, I think it's 40 games of pinball against opponents. So they're going to meet people. It's very social. They're going to try to beat them on new games, old games. So it doesn't have separate divisions for old and new. You basically play whatever it is that, that you're being asked to play and, and then see how it goes. Um, the people who lose at this still have a great time because they get to meet other pinball players. They get to uh, hang out. It's like a party. And then for people who are really serious and professional and want to go at it, uh, there is there is that as well. Uh, so I think it's a, it's a great weekend, and um, people have really responded to it. We raised the price this year to try and maybe drive some people away because we didn't <laughs> too many people, and uh, that did not work clearly because no. we filled up the tournament at 400 people within two weeks. And we've now had to scramble to find hotel rooms for these people, parking lots for these people, shuttles, all of the things. It's like running a wedding. It really is. Uh, so I can't play. Uh, the other people who work at Papa can't play. And uh, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't be right to play. Imagine the Ocho shows up and they say, all right, let's talk to the people who are running this. And then a day later they say, let's talk to the champion. And it's the same person wearing, wearing the, <laughs> holding the, the giant cup. Uh, they will never come back. They will real. They will say, "Well, this is this is a bogus sport. If the organizer can win the win the championship, uh, and uh, I feel that's very strong. And I think that pinball is eventually going to get to the point, if it does become legitimate, where that will be an issue at, at all tournaments. And right Absolutely. now, it's, I agree. Absolutely, only an issue at at specific tournaments. It's a rule that Papa has had in place ever since it started. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I think it's um, a really strong guideline for all events to try and have at least multiple organizers." so that someone can make an impartial ruling. You don't want to get to a point where someone feels screwed by uh, by the organizer, even if, they, even if it, it never actually is that, but the perception of that can ruin someone's enjoyment of the event, and they'll, they'll never come back. They'll tell their friends not to go. Uh, it has to grow. That actually also is a, another problem that, that's coming with tournaments is that Many of these tournaments were built with roughly maybe 30, 40, 50, 60 people in mind mm -hmm. as a target for how many people to attract. And as the tournaments are becoming more popular, you're seeing instead of 60 players, you're seeing 100 players. And in Louisville this weekend, there were 222 players. Unbelievable. Wow. A huge uh, number. And now, a lot of those players are people who came to the show. They were given free tickets to play in the tournament as a trial, and they, they used those tickets. Uh, and some of them got hooked. Some of them got in and, and enjoyed it, and at the very least, all of them get to see their name on a leaderboard and get to say they played in a pinball tournament, and that, that's a thing that maybe I should try to find one of these some, again someday. Uh, but as tournaments grow, the organizers have to figure out ways to offer an experience that supports a larger number of people. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know what that is, but I think the Louisville tournament was very successful at this by offering more games and uh, sort of a, a choose-your-own-adventure kind of uh, play where you didn't have to play all the games you just had to play enough of them 
that you could uh, qualify for finals. At Pinburg, we have 200 pinball machines in the pinball tournament, and that's just a total luxury. That that could never happen anywhere else, really. And it's a luxury we have being at the at Papa headquarters with Kevin Martin's uh, collection. Now has been transferred over to a a uh, nonprofit called the Replay Foundation, where the objective is to uh, raise money for pinball outreach, run tournaments. So uh, Replay Foundation sponsors. Uh, 10 tournaments this past year and 12 tournaments this next year for what we call the Papa Circuit. So Louisville this next year will have tournaments in Seattle and Portland and Colorado in Chicago in uh, Orlando and a few cities we haven't uh, announced yet but will be uh, first time tournaments in circuit and um, we're hoping it's a big deal but we don't know. I think the next layer to becoming legitimized is, is sponsorship. That you become legitimate when you get sponsors. You you can't be on TV unless a TV network can say, "How are we going to make money off of you? Mm-hmm. How are we going to sell advertising?" Right. And if you can say that that this is the five hour energy Pinburg 2014 or uh, the the Red Bull uh, the Red Bull Championship or whatever. I mean that look look at any real sport. And uh, I mean I'm sorry I'm talking about televised sports. And you see that. Even darts, even pool, really anything. All these pool tournaments are at casinos Jack's now. Jack's Beef Jerky, World Series of Poker. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> and that, that is where you have to go. And you have to prove to these people, the advertisers, that someone will watch your stuff. At this point, we have over a million views of the videos on pinball.org. Wow. Uh, so people are watching Amazing. it. People are learning and people are interested, and especially with... with commentaries with uh, uh, with characters. I think it comes down to the people and it comes down to the, the events and if they can be seen as spectacle, if they can be seen as something that can be learned from, uh, there are a lot of potential inroads for sponsors to want to go. That I think it is workable. I think it's I think it's there. We just haven't figured out exactly how to make it happen yet. And to extent we, we haven't really been trying to do it that way. Is is that the is that really the overall goal is to push it to the point where you get sponsors and then maybe have a, a tiered competition approach where you have professionals and non professionals? I mean, it's it's kind of tough because right now everybody's ranked under the the you know world pinball rankings. If you played in a sanctioned tournament, you are world ranked. So even Mister endorsed tournaments, they're yeah. not sanctioned, sir. Oh, okay. Endorsed. Endorsed, sir. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I'm like even even Joseph, Mr. Joseph Falby, he is a world ranked player because he played in an endorsed tournament. So is is that is that the where where we wanted to go? I mean, where do we, Eden? I mean, you you play everywhere. You you're kicking yourself for not going to Louisville. I am a little. I mean, even though you are the 2008 Canadian Pinball Champion, it's been a while. It's been a while. Um, what, what what do you think? I mean, is that is that where it needs to be? We need to have sponsors. We need to like you need to wear a. Uh, beef jerky advertisement on your shirt and be playing so someone's watching your back and they see Red Bull. What? What? I don't know if that's what we need. Um, I, I think it's something that a lot of us would like to see. We, we'd like it to get bigger. We'd like to have an audience. We'd like to go and instead of playing for a big prize of, of 10000 yeah, instead of playing for a big prize of 10000 rather play for like 100000 What if we can ever have it so that there's like, you know, like... What was the last world or one of the bigger World Series of Poker is like eight thousand people in it. Right. If we somehow had But the one thing about you know, like the World Series of Poker, and this is where maybe we can talk a little bit about tournament formats for a minute. 
because this is one thing I'd love to talk about. The one thing that has always appealed to me about the match play championship, uh, the Pinberg championship, is it is, like Bowen says, it's one fee. You're playing forty around 40 games. You're, you know, if you're doing really, really well, you're going to move up into the divisions, up to A division, where you can make some pretty good coin, and you know, you're, you're, you're getting great competition. But there's also other tournaments out there that is a, a pay for play, if you will. Multiple, every entry you have to pay a fee, and you that pump ten, and dump. Pump and dump. Yep. I, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to try to remain neutral and feel <laughs> nice, but fine. Yeah, we'll call it a pump and dump. <laughs> where, where you know. If you're not so good, but you want to get good, you're basically throwing your money away, in a sense. Um, and it lends itself to those pro players that can afford, really, to do that pump and dump. And for me, as a, a, a player, that I'm okay, I'm not great, but I'm okay, I hate those tournaments. But I know those pro players love those tournaments, or at least the higher skilled players love those tournaments, because they see those entries that I'm putting in as feeding the pot. Right. And they I might put 10 bucks in and they might that, be done. That might be the case. Personally, I've never seen it that way. Oh. Well, well, but, but no, then again, real. but then I again, really you, but you, but you, you're in the, you're in that top echelon. I am now. I wasn't before. But how much do did I, you spend before? Do I have to tell you my pinball world championship story? <laughs> Feel free to share. Sure. Okay. So the very first pop I ever went to, I mean, I knew that for the Northwest here, I was probably the best player at the time. I was definitely doing very well against all the competition around here. I'm like, okay, it's time to go to the World Championships. I'm going to go there. I'm going to qualify. I can even win this thing for sure. First one I go to, played all weekend, hundreds of dollars. I got last place. How did that make you feel? Fantastic. I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe how good these people are and the skills. that I'd seen things that I just didn't even think people would do. But because I saw all that, I was able to pick up little things here and there. And I practiced so hard for the next year. And I went right back there the next year, ready to go. And I got second but let to me, last. But let me ask you this question. <laughs> but did you have to spend all that money? I did. To watch. I mean, you could no. watch and not spend money. You, no. you were still feeding entries. So I'm, would I be the player I am today? I spend much every time I go to a tournament in the long run. Every year it's less and less and less because I paid that money to invest in my skill and get better and compete against these people. You need to. Steel sharpens steel, as my good friend Adam Becker says. The more you play against good people, the better you're going to get. And you need to face that. Now, for now some but people... But how do you feel about that format style of tournament, where it's a pay-for-play as opposed to a one-time fee? I, I love them both. I love them both for totally different reasons. The one-time fee, one positive is that you know how much you're putting in. The cards are going to fall where they fall. I've seen some where... If it's a one-time fee and therefore a limited entry tournament, like let's say you're playing, the most you can play is a game three or four times, right? I still have this feeling that if you let me play your Earthshaker four times, well, not yours, we'll pick a neutral game. We go somewhere. And if I play that game four times and you play that game four times, I'm still probably going to have a higher score no matter what. It just seems to happen. So does it, now it's favoring us in a different way, us pro players, right? Um, and yet with the pump and dump tournament, what I do like is if you are a player that is, for lack of a better word, up and coming, or you have the hunger and you want to get better, maybe it takes you 15 tries on a game to finally get that score that is really good for you. While with the Keith Elwins or the Bowens or the Edens or whatever, it yeah. takes three, four, five, or six games. So it gives them an opportunity to still, it, it, it takes them a little more 
attempts, a little more time, maybe a little more money, but then they can reach that goal. Falby, now you're you're a beginning player, even more so than I am. We we ran a tournament at the the Northwest uh, Pinball Show last year. We're going to be doing something again this year. <clears throat> and uh, how do you feel about uh, p- pinball tournament formats? I mean, you've also run other styles of pinball, tur- uh, not pinball tournaments, but tournaments in general. So you know about tournaments. But what do you think uh, from, from a newcomer's point of view? Well, I, the, so that the, I, I think, Chase, I, I, I sort of agree with you on the, the idea of, um, you know, a guy, a guy who's, who's a mediocre player. If if he's in a tournament where he can just rebuy additional game tickets, he only has he has to he can rebuy until he gets some really lucky games for him or for them, and make it into a final, and then they they he, they may fail, fall apart in the final, but that is maybe enough for them to get there. But they've already dumped you know hundred hundred dollars or more into a tournament, as opposed to somebody who's consistently good, may play in a in a tournament only have to put five or ten bucks into it or you know whatever the initial buy in is. And they'll make it to the same stage, but they're seeing a huge return on their investment versus the person who dumped a whole lot of money into it. It's not not seeing anything. You know, they're they're going to dump a hundred bucks into it, and they're they're barely even going to get a learning experience. You know, they'd be better off going to a traditional machine and asking to play with some other people who who are maybe more skilled rather than getting into a tournament like that. And and eventually, you know, the the argument that well, you're paying to get the experience that the, you're paying to learn what you're doing. I think it starts falling apart when you when you look at people who are never going to reach that level. You know, somebody who plays in thirty tournaments but they still never break into the top fifteen or top twenty, they're they're never ever. It's not going to do them any good. They just don't have that that innate skill or that talent to to do that well. And and they may practice a lot, but it may not make a huge difference in the long run. Or they can't practice a lot. They don't have access to machines all the time. That sort of thing. Uh, but the the idea of a, of a buying a one time in and playing through a tournament and going where where things go, I think that that is a more, at least in my opinion, I think is a better legitimate way of gauging multiple people's skill because they don't have a chance to, you know, they can't me- they can mess up once or twice, but they can't mess up thirty times in a row and just say, oh, I'll buy another game, <laughs> you know, that sort of thing. Um, so I I like the the not having to to re, not being able to rebuy, um, not being able to rebuy and just playing it one time you know buying your tickets one time and playing those tickets I think that's a better approach I like it better as an average player as a as a mediocre player I should say um, I think that's a better approach to it but I understand why people who are a lot more skilled than I am people who've been in it for a long time like the other approach because they can get a whole lot more money out of the tournament than what they ever put into it. Yeah, it does. Yeah. It does so build that, prize pools. Um, that is that is actually so. There's the the origin of some of these pump and dumps uh, came basically out of that that notion of the prize pool. That uh, over the years, people have just kind of said, "Well, this is this is the way to get four thousand, five thousand, six thousand dollars in the prize pool instead of fifteen hundred dollars in the prize pool." And for better or worse, that that was the state of things for for many years. Where this this format uh, and players pin, pinball players often call it the Herb format because of a guy named Herb, Herb Silvers who ran a tournament in Southern California and Las Vegas that uh, evolved to this format. Uh, and it and in one of the form one of the years he ran it in Las Vegas, their prize pool just ended up being enormous. Only because of this format that people were being encouraged to play over and over and over again, uh, 
I think that there's also a, a second value of it for someone who comes from out of town, which is they want to show up and play pinball. They don't want to show up and play three games of pinball and then be told, okay, that's all the tickets you can mm -hmm. play and you're, and you're eliminated. Uh, I've been asked to go to tournaments in Europe a few times and I never go because their formats are all these fixed entry formats. You play six games and then if you do well enough on those six games, you get onto the next round, you play three more games and, and so on. And I, I looked at them like, so I'm going to fly to Europe so I can play up to 11 games of pinball. No, it's just it's terrible. Mm -hmm. uh, so that those are the upsides of this pump, these pump and dumps. But there are some very serious downsides, and uh, uh, Joseph brought up a few of them, especially for the player who's at that that uh, that lower tier. Uh, and I I'm not completely sure what we do for those for those people. What what we do for those people in competitions that seems to work reasonably is offer a. Uh, a B division or what, what I call the casual division at the California extreme show where if you didn't qualify for the finals, then the top six, eight or 16 who are lower, low ranked enough or have never won anything in a tournament, they get to play their own finals for a, for a side pot, not as high as the main pot, but, but for like 200 bucks or something like that. Uh, and so there's, there's another carrot for those players to play, uh, with each other or against each other. I, I also think, though, that those players aren't necessarily going to get better by this experience because they're not playing against any of the, the top players. They may be able to watch them, but I, I really think there's something to match play, that, that playing with and against other players makes you better. Mm -hmm. uh, and we don't have that in these pump and dumps at all. You always play by yourself unless you make a final. Exactly, yeah. That that's that's one thing I find a little negative about them too. But so so leagues leagues can help with that. Uh, there are some other formats where you can have people show up and do sort of a rolling match play. We ran a tournament called Cupids and Canines for for three years this way, where it was basically four people show up and they form a four player group and play a match against each other. The next four people come along and they play a four player match, and then the winners of those matches would play each other. And it would be sort of like a uh, an elimination tournament, except with rolling entry. Whoever shows up, they play each other. Uh, and that was actually, I, I thought that was a really good format. But what it didn't do, it didn't generate any money for the pot. Mm -hmm. So some people complain. They were like, they would say, "Well, I spent seven hundred dollars to get here, and your first prize is five hundred dollars." But isn't that where sponsorships could possibly fill in the void, right? I mean, you could have a one-time entry fee, but then you have a sponsor. Well, they'll front up twenty, say twenty thousand Red Bull, and say, "All right, this is one-time fee, twenty thousand. I mean, yeah. it's like the Olympics, not the Olympics. Like, say the X Games or whatever. They don't charge those uh, athletes twenty dollars for every run going down the hill. They that, get three runs, and that's, that's it. That's the whole point, though, Chase. I, the pump and dump exists right now because there isn't sponsorship. There isn't giant prize pools, so we have to build big prize pools to look lucrative. I think for sure, but only for the good players, though. You're only benefiting the good players. Uh, no, I'm just I'm just suggesting prize pools. I think I think if those prize pools like you're suggesting existed right. through um, sponsorship, I think the pump and dump would be almost gone, vanish. I think they just wouldn't exist. It would just be. A, but then, how would you limit the the one entry fees? I mean, uh, what you top five thousand in rankings? Because right now everybody's a world ranked player. What would you make a, a cutoff or whatever? You couldn't just like how the X Games, as a great example, don't allow every single person who snowboards to go and compete. How would you make that line 
for people to enter into that tournament, for example? I guess if it got that big, there would have to be some line, like you said, based on your rank or, or various invitational things. But no, I would I would hope that somehow it should just get bigger, bigger, bigger and be right. thousands of people somehow. I know, but the, but the problem is, I mean, all ranks are not created equal. Uh, I guess a great example, and I know the formulas have changed a little bit, so I don't know the exact particulars, but... You know, you can have a, a tournament with 20 people and a tournament with 50 people, and weren't they used still worth the same amount of overall points? A tournament oh. with 20 people can be worth more depending on uh, who those 20 people are. Uh, and um, there's a few things that go into the rankings that are 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 good and bad. I, I think that it's interesting that they they make no judgment about the, the relative quality of an event only by, except for... Who shows up? So a, an event that has each player play the game once and then they declare a winner by who got the high score uh, is just as valid a tournament as Pinburg is. Uh, and I don't like to poke fun at the rankings, but there are events that are uh, like one-off events at uh, at places that 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 could be worth are worth more than tournaments that 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 I feel are clearly. Higher, higher quality or higher difficulty. Yeah. Uh, mm. Now it's a ranking system, and there's there's no perfect system, and uh, the system the system is pretty good. Uh, but I I would say ideally, like Eden says, we don't have these restrictions. What Pinberg does is the restrictions that come up come up from play. You everybody plays as a big collective for a whole day, and at the end of the day, you get put into A, B, C, or D, whether you played well, played poorly. Uh, but we do have restrictions. Like Keith Elwin is only going to be <laughs> eligible to play in A division, and if he has the worst ever day that first day, he too bad he's going to be stuck in A division because it, boy, it would look really bad to see him holding up the first place trophy for C division. <laughs> uh, it, everybody around would go like, "Hey, what's that?" So we have restrictions, and Whopper is one of those restrictions that pushes a player into a specific division. I think if things get really large. That may be where you need to go. Uh, right. I want to bring you back to the World Series of Poker example because it's a it's a pretty apt example, both positively and negatively. Anyone can win. You show up, you take your seat, and literally everyone in the whole tournament is on equal footing at the beginning of that event. Yeah. But the event takes two and a half weeks to play mm -hmm. because it has 8,000 people. Now those people are all putting in $10,000. And they probably don't mind being there for two and a half weeks if it means they're going to get $10 million at the end of that. Uh, for pinball, that's just not where we are right now. And mm. I, don't think, I, I would be amazed if we ever get there yeah. simply because pinball is too much of a skill game that someone can walk in and someone can beat Johnny F. and Chan on one hand. Uh, but over time, Johnny's going to win. Now, Somebody's gonna come in and beat Keith Elwin on one game. That's less likely than someone beating Johnny Chan in one hand of poker. Right. And so the the cream rises to the top a lot faster in a pinball tournament, where in a poker tournament, a total idiot can get most of the way through the tournament through dumb luck, and some do. And then that ends up being the appeal of these to to newcomers. We never see someone just off the street come in and win a pinball tournament. At least I don't know. I, maybe it's happened, but I've never seen it. Papa four. Well, <laughs> always shut. <up. laughs> Just checking. As as we uh, 
I, the time's really flown by. Really? Uh, yeah. Already? <laughs> yeah. Oh man. But uh, as we as we wrap up here, I, I, what? I, I'm serious. I thought you were just going to tell us there's like an hour left or thirty minutes. No. Oh man. No. I mean, Thanks, Chase. It was good. No, I mean, we. I, I'm I'm winding us down. Let me put it that way. Yeah. It's this is not a hard cutoff. You know, where it's like uh, your ball's in play, you can finish your game. Yeah. So I just felt like we're just getting into it. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what I said. I mean, there's a lot of things that we probably didn't get into, or some of us want us to get into. I, I want to go around real quick, and I'm gonna start with Joe first because Joe's been the quiet, silent partner here. <laughs> uh, but Joe, is there any 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 uh, lasting topics uh, about this subject that you wanted to bring up that we didn't uh, get a chance to touch on? Well. I, I guess the only um, the the only thing I I, I kind of think that we should talk about. And I know that that actually Bowen, I've, I talked to you a little bit about it at uh, uh, I think it was last year's Northwest um, Championship. Northwest Championship, and you had a very definite opinion about electronic or or iPhone, iPad, those you know software based pinball pinball systems, and I I I kind I kind of think it's an important subject because honestly I think that low low barrier to entry type of thing is bringing people into it they're playing it on a on an iPhone or an iPad they're playing it on an Android tablet or even on their Xbox and they're saying hey this isn't bad i could play this in real life and then they're going down to an arcade and actually playing the real tables and and i know that there's a lot of disagreements about it about whether they should even exist whether it's right to be selling the licenses for these old machines that sort of thing but I think as a whole, I think in the long run, it'll help pinball players. And, and I'm, I'm speaking even about myself. I, I know that, that I'm, I can play through a couple of those virtual, virtual pinball tables on my iPad and do really, really well. But then I'll go to a play a real machine and it's a completely different story. But at least it got me the mechanics of the game. It got me interested in the game. It got me wanting to go out and try that real table and, and go seek it out and find it. And, and I'm just, you know, I'm just kind of curious about about the the whole what you guys think and and you know coming from an, an amateur point of view what you guys think as i don't want to say necessarily pros but yeah pros you know as as super high level players what you guys all think of that that side of the of the pinball tracks i guess well bowen since uh joe uh, yeah what do you think i was in the double box uh it's bringing a lot more exposure to pinball certainly um as as players that but i mean i think back to the windows 95 days when everyone thought pinball was that that game you fired up on the space screen cadet. Space, cadet. space cadet more people yes. have played space cadet pinball than any real pinball machine ever in history uh now if that had been a real pinball machine instead maybe some of those people would be then drawn to play hey there's a real game uh maybe williams should have made a space cadet pinball machine with the same <laughs> layout and uh and they could have made millions of dollars uh what I what I'd love to see is some ways to make those transitions easier for players uh, to 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 say oh you're playing this this iPad game and oh and the and the real one is over there and that doesn't seem to be happening partially because the people making the iPad version I don't see what possible benefit it would be for them like why would they want someone to then go off and not play their iPad version anymore and go play the real game. Uh, people who are making it, the Farsight, the Farsight people, they seem to be into pinball. They like pinball. They've done the Pinball Hall of Fame for console. They've done um, Pinball Arcade for uh, all of these devices, and it's very popular. So I can envision them being not necessarily a sponsor of tournaments, 
but of, of a gateway to just let people know in the app, oh, hey, there's there's a tournament here or a tournament there or here are the games on location, or a link to pinballmap.com or uh, a link to pinball.org. Like when when um, when the the app came out, we got lots and lots of viewers of the Ripley's Believe It or Not tutorial that uh, Keith Elwin did, and these people went out on the internet looking for resources to find out how to play the virtual version of the game they had, and that Ripley's tutorial is way more popular than it has any right to be because there are no Ripley's out in the world. There are only Ripley's on this device. How do we convert those people? How do you get them to then go play the real game? I think that when they do go to play the real game, they're going to get hooked on the real game. Mm -hmm. But it's a matter of bringing them out into the world, find the games, and go play them. Well, before the show, we were chatting, maybe nonchalantly, tongue-in-cheek, about uh, certain applications for iPhone, uh, iPad, uh, you know, Android, you know, pinball finders, if you will. And there's good ones. There's some bad ones. There's some mediocre ones. And the problem is, I think it also comes back to money. I bet you people would pay $1.99 or $0.99 for a very robust, awesome, all-in-one pinball finding app where if you typed in uh, Black Knight, you would be able to find all the Black Knights in a 300-mile radius or whatever the case may be, whatever you're looking for. And I think that's the other thing, too, is... People need to be able to find machines very easily. If you can find a pizza joint or if you can find a McDonald's or whatever you're looking for very easily on your phone, you should be able to find a machine close by to play. And unfortunately, it's not very consistent in that department right now. And that's a problem. If we want to try to encourage the hobby uh, and for I mean, like the way I found Kyle, I'm like I joined the VRPA. I found him through Google. I just do some Google searches. I was looking pinball clubs. Washington State, Region, Puget Sound, and I eventually found the VRPA. Uh, but you know, right now, if you did a search for Black Knight Pinball, local, you you might not find it, and that's a problem. I mean, there needs to be a solution in place. I mean, if we got Papa to make videos, maybe they can make a really cool app. All right, well, let's make an app. <laughs> what, 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 in, uh... well, what about Pinball Map? Yeah, I, I think yeah, but it's limited app. to each town. Like he's saying, one that no matter what city you're in, right? Boom. Not not regional, not right. like not it, like. See, here's the thing. The first thing the pinball map asks you is where where you want to look for, and then there are. I mean, it's not global, and then you have to pick a region. But it and is they're, growing. They're adding more quite cities. A bit, yeah. I think yeah. pinball map can get there one day. Yeah, you think yeah, so? The, yeah, I, I do too. I think the hard the hard part about any of this is. You, you can't have, I mean, there's nobody going to be Google out there driving around with a car, knocking on every door asking, hey, what pinball machi machines do you have to play? I mean, that's just unrealistic. And I, I like that Pinball Map is crowdsourcing it. So in the cities where they're, where they're turning it on, and they are adding new cities on a regular basis, they're, um, they're, they're making but, the people who play and the, the people who host the machines and stuff like that are putting their own information. Yeah, but, but one of the problems that I've ran into with that is, and I don't know if it's changed, I haven't used it lately, but let's say I, I go into a bowling alley that's not on pinball map. Okay, I walk like, like the like the um the pool hall that we went to that had a terrible hair what was it, an Adams family or something like that? If that you call it if you can call it condition. that, yeah. It was it was <laughs> yeah. really bad. Uh, but where A, the the location wasn't even existing. It wasn't there. So on the app itself, I couldn't add a location. Now if I had four like on Foursquare, you can add a location mm -hmm. very easily. But if that location's not there, and if it's not a simple way for me to do it, 
I'm not going to go through the 12 step process. I'm going to, all right, go to the website, then send, it, send an changed. email. I think, I think that's up to the operator, like to. No, I don't think so. But, but why it's, wouldn't they want to do something like that? Maybe because... the operator doesn't even know it exists. No, well, there's someone who operates that game, is what he's saying. I, th I, no, I, I, think, I yeah. think most new operators are aware of this technology now. And if they don't, then they're. They're they're behind the times. And I'm with you though, Chase. It should be fail. anyone who sees it should be able to give it. Well, an just update. like Foursquare. I mean, like businesses are added to Foursquare that are not added by the business. They're added by someone who wants to check in to earn badges or points. If they made that for pinball, yes. like I'm a twenty person or twenty game pinball machine person, I get a badge for that. Yeah, I don't know why actually that the pinball map does this, but I. What I do know is there is an there's an administrator for each area. Mm -hmm. So the area of British Columbia is administered by one person, and that's a lot of responsibility. It, 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 it <laughs> is, yeah. And so basically, if you do see a new location, you have to email the administrator see, through that, this program, which is kind of if they can change that, silly. Then it uh, shouldn't be that way. Anymore. Once a location is added onto the pinball map, then you as a user can add games and modify games and delete games and change yeah. games, but. Yeah, the fact that they don't allow it, it just seems a little restrictive. Is it a control issue? I don't know. Maybe they need to verify the location. Spam issue. Uh, uh, hold, hold, hold on. Say again, Bowen? I think it's more of a spam issue. It's yeah. Just to uh, yeah. add random stupid locations and then uh, get it. I, but I agree with you. I think that that's something they should allow. And, uh, let, well, let's just get them to allow it. And then and then we can see how it goes. I mean, you could, still have, have, you could still have a gatekeeper. Really good. Yep. You could still yeah, have a gatekeeper. Have a gatekeeper. I mean, just like on, on Foursquare, a location isn't is is added, but it's in a queue where a moderator or a super user will can moderate it. If it's a duplicate location, they can combine the locations. You know, uh, there's there's many different ways of, of doing it. Uh, but the thing is, there's pinball map. Uh, I saw some people in the chat room also threw a pinball rebel. Uh, there's many different things, and then you have now you have competing services where. Which one's going to be the more up-to-date one? Is it going to be Pinball Map? Is it going to be Pinball Rebel? Is it going to be this and that? I think there needs to be a one official directory, a pinball directory. And I, I would hope maybe a nonprofit could get involved with that because then there wouldn't be – because some people are doing this to try to make some money off of a directory or off of a service. And I think it, it needs to be a little bit more neutral in that regard. Like, like everything, whichever one appears – and people like the best is the one that's going to get used. Plain well, that's simple. fine, but I mean, the thing is, it needs to be, I think, more open and more mm, simple. Absolutely. And, and and the other thing too is people need to know about it. Mm -hmm. uh, that's all. I mean, what sucks is, that what if you're in a city that they don't support? <laughs> right. What do you do? Yeah. I mean, what do you do? Um, well, that that's that's do? when it comes down to the. What do you do? The people, the people who are out there and say they, they see the games. If it is Foursquare esque, like you're talking about. Right, yeah. then they'll just add the locations, and it'll it'll take care of itself by the players, the people going around who see it. Yeah. So it'll it'll work. It just has to be created. Uh, as we wrap up, as I said thirty minutes ago, no, or whatever. <laughs> uh, as I asked Joe, I'll ask you the same thing, Eden. Anything that we didn't talk about that you were thinking about, kind of nibbling on, you want to yep. mention before we just, go? Just one little thing. Yeah. Uh, when we were talking about uh, the price point of games and how I said uh, Tron LE was the beginning of the end of the destruction of people buying pinballs at home. Um, we were also talking about getting pinball kind of out to people and people what's going to attract them to it, things like that. I know that for me, um, with my games at home, I have, you know, not all of them, but a bunch of them set up down in like a game room of my building. And I bring, uh, 
I have friends come. I say, hey guys, come on over and play. Even people who have never played, but every single one that comes over, they always say at the end, oh my god, I want to come back again soon. So personally, just like because you know we're saying some are on location, some are at home. You were asking at a point, how does the home market affect? So having games at home gets people interested if you can bring friends over, and then now these friends, when they see the games out there, they're playing them. So they're both important aspects of of the whole thing. Um, but buying brand new games for home is going to be tough. Pay your dollar or two at the arcade for the brand new ones. Hopefully you have some good ones at home like that are a little older that can get them playing at least first. Right. Kyle? Well, there's this whole issue with the obscenely high price of games right now making it really hard to get into the market. Um, it's mostly a negative thing, but the only upside to it that i can see is that uh it's bringing people out to the locations more mm -hmm. and that in turn is kind of forcing the operators to make sure they have a quality product because uh it's a new generation of operators that are doing this and if you're not like up if your games aren't up to snuff they're simply not gonna go there because they know they've seen the competitions They've been to people's houses with games, and that's their expectation now when they go on location. Um, also, uh, if you can't afford a game, uh, there's so many leagues out there right now that you know you can do what Chase did. And if you didn't know, go on Google and just type in your city and then put Pinball League next to it and see what comes up because more than likely you're going to find something close to your area. And even though you can't afford a game, maybe you can get involved in some really good playing games uh in in leagues all around the world so um there's a lot of resources out there right now for all ask, uh, aspects of pinball and uh, i think you like you just need to do your research online and and get your information from there yeah absolutely um uh, bowen last but certainly not least uh any any Maybe final least. thoughts <laughs> or least anything uh, that we didn't mention that you want to say well i i've been We've been thinking a lot about um, how how to bring bring pinball sort of in, into the mainstream more. Uh, and uh, if if you look at how poker got moved into the mainstream, it it was about the players. It was about the spectacle uh, more than anything else. And, and yeah, it's about the money and, and that they, they're playing for millions of dollars. But uh, you're also watching all these people with interesting stories interact with one another. And I actually think that that's the that's the story of a lot of uh, a lot of ev of events, sports, sports, and otherwise, uh, the the human interest of it. Uh, and so, trying to grow events that can become spectacle, I think, is really in interesting to me. And uh, it's one of the reasons why uh, Papa built this circuit of tournaments with a final. So on, on April 11th, we're going to have a 20-player ladder match based on all of these other tournaments that have happened, where where Everyone who won uh, these events in Louisville or uh, Portland or whatever, they're all going to basically square off and beat each other down. Uh, and it's it's a format that's pretty similar to the way bowling appears when it's on TV. It's something that someone just walks up, they can, they can figure out what's going on. There's four people playing. If you're first in a game, you win 100 bucks. If you're last, you're eliminated. And then it keeps moving up until you get to a final. Uh, so I think that that's actually also a barrier for, for pinball with with tournaments and events, people show up and and they say, "So it's a pinball tournament. Cool. What 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 do you do?" And then 
for the next 10 minutes, you explain to them, oh, you play this, you do this, you do this, and if you're into this, and the, and, and they run off go, screaming and going, what mm-hmm. the hell, why don't I just get to play a pinball game, and, and if I score well, I win. Uh, so simplicity, and especially if you ever want pinball to get on real TV, you have to be able to explain to someone who has barely, if ever, played pinball before, explain what is going on, who are these people, why are they interesting to me, what are we going to do uh, during the game and after the game? And that really is, I think, the biggest barrier, as big a barrier as it is to get sponsorship because the sponsors aren't going to want to come and sponsor events unless they see some market, some benefit for doing so. And the sponsorship and the, te- the television really kind of work hand in hand. So uh, I'm hopeful about um, the, the Papa Circuit. We're, we're interested in trying to figure out if we can do live streaming of the circuit final on April 11th, uh, and that would also be a big step in, in the right direction. We're able to record and, com- and comment on these things, but being able to do it live and have people watch and interact uh, is, would be a, a really huge plus and, and could turn this into something that is uh, a spectrum. Ironically, wasn't it uh, just you and Chase last year? where we did that for the first time ever in pinball's history at Northwest, unless I was off by that, wasn't it? You guys did that live, didn't you? Yeah, that uh, was live. Yeah, that was the yep. first one ever. And so, yeah, and, and I was hearing people from Oregon or even Kyle here told me that, yeah, there he was with Amanda sitting at the uh, dinner table. Yeah, they were looking at, and there was and, and they had a guest too. And they're like, holy cow, that pinball's happening right now down in Seattle. It yep. was crazy. It was live, yeah. No. It was live. It was it was really lucky for us. We had live view. We had a live view backpack, which which is overkill for a situation, <laughs> but it's good for an area where you we had no good internet access, um, and especially there there wasn't very nothing sufficient for streaming, I should say. And no, it worked out well. I mean, but it was very crude, but it showed the potential exactly. And and that's and that's where uh, and you know Bowen and I and and Mark, you know, we're going to try to chat and, and and maybe if we could make something happen for. Uh, for the finals, that'd be great for the for the circuit final. I, I think that'd be awesome, and uh, I'm going to be down there all week, actually. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, uh, one of the one of the people in the chat room uh, reminded me also that uh, uh, Mark Steinman and I will be giving a uh, talk at uh, the Pen- the Penny Arcade Expo East on uh, Sunday, March 26th. I guess it is next. It's uh, two weeks from today, March 24th. Uh, at a, in a 600-seat theater as part of the uh, PAX East convention. You'll pack it out. On how to, on how to play pinball. Uh, and, you know, events like that, I'm, 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 we're, we're honored to have been invited to do that by, by them. Uh, but events like that can expose pinball to a whole new group of people who realize it is a skill game. It's interesting. There's stuff to do. They're, oh, there's money, too? Oh, all right, sweet. Bring it on. Uh, and it's the same kind of spectacle, like, I think about what uh, what Dalva did with their their international tournament for Dota, and uh, they they basically invented this thing and made it a spectacle and and created a market for their game without any external sponsorship. Uh, and I, I think that is something that that Papa is trying to do. We certainly we don't have the resources of Valve, so it's not like we can just declare a million dollar prize. But if you if you had a million dollar prize or a hundred thousand dollar prize. You would draw all sorts of people into playing just because that their prizes are out there mm-hmm. to be. Yep, absolutely. the The potential is there, and I and I think thanks to technology, the internet, and lots of 
just good people, uh, we're, we're seeing something that uh, is going to get better and better all the time, and that's the best part. Uh, man, I mean, we could go on and on and on and on, but then if we did, we wouldn't have anything to talk about for the next edition of this special, <laughs> which will probably come back in the future. This was kind of my hidden test of a pinball show. Uh, some people are thinking, oh, man, this would be nice if we did this every week or every other week. I know I couldn't drag Kyle and Eden down every week, but maybe once a month or once a quarter, perhaps, I think that we sure. can make that happen. Sure. Uh, but, hey, uh, I want to say a big thank you to everybody. Uh, Eden Stam, uh, 2008 pin- uh, Canadian pinball champion. You're not on Twitter. You need to get on Twitter. No way. You need to get on Twitter. So, so no pinball dice. fans and people. See, this is the thing. This is also how you encourage the hobby. Uh, people who want to get to know you and interact with you and learn about it, they could tweet you. Uh, see? Shitter. Yeah. Not see, my bag. See, I ju- <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it's a Canadian thing. I don't know. Uh, also, Kyle uh, Seller. Uh, you can go check out Pub340 Pinball. They're on Facebook if you want to see a very cool uh, page and go play some pinball. Great machines. Great quality, Kyle. Thank you very mm-hmm. much. And I'm not just saying that because you're a friend. I mean it. They're I, good quality I try machines. Hard. It, it's a lot of work. Yes, even with all the bar patrons banging them and moving them around. Yeah. But you do a good job there. And also, if you want to check out more information about the Vancouver Regional Pinball Association, head over to vrpa.com. CA for more information. Thank you. Joseph Falby. He's uh, the co-host of Minecraft Me, also one of the hosts of Geek Gamer Weekly, and an all-around good guy and robot expert. You can follow him on Twitters at Falby, F-A-L-B-E-Y. And uh, thanks for being ducky, Joe. Do appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, no problem. I was trying to uh, to fill some massively large shoes. That's, yeah, John's shoes are super large. And four-time world pinball champion and tournament coordinator of Pinburg Match Play Worldwide Super Duper Huge Championship in the World 2013. Official title. I have the shirt. Yes, you do have yeah. the shirt. That's a great shirt, man. I yeah, like John that. John Chad from uh, Drop Target Zine designed our shirt this year, and it's uh, it's the little uh, gnome. that From uh, Travelocity. It's the gnome that operates the uh, hop bumper. Oh, I see. Hilarious. He pulls down. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> and for more information, if people want to ch- check out uh, the the videos and check out Pinberg, it's papa.org. Everything's yeah, there. Papa.org slash blog will update. Uh, is pinball.org for uh, the pinball archive with the with all the videos. And on Twitter, it's at papa pinball. P a p a p i n b a l. Sweet, Bowen. Thank you so much for joining. Appreciate Thanks it very on. much. And. You guys, thank you for watching. If you're checking us live, we do the show every Sunday evening at live.geekgamer.tv at 6 Pacific, 9 in the East. Uh, we have a, a great back catalog of shows. You can find them on iTunes, RSS, Android. I mean, whatever you use, we try to you know bring that to you. Head over to geekgamer.tv. And also special thanks to Ustream uh, for featuring this show today and uh, spreading the word of pinball, technology, and gaming everywhere well thanks a lot for joining us you guys we really do appreciate it our next live show will be this thursday evening uh probably around eight o'clock pacific time for some minecraft me action for all the guests here in the studio and online thanks for joining us for geek gamer weekly until we all talk again we are all silent and since john's on here hey joe say good night gracie good night bob saget Somebody else. Someone has to say.